You know, you discussed the realities of heaven and hell briefly, um, uh, two potential destinies. I'd like to call your attention to a passage of Scripture. It's a brief one that addresses the very subject you discussed. It's in our study in the Gospel of John. In this case, John chapter 8, beginning in verse 21. John chapter 8, verse 21. Uh, see if you could find it. And I'd like to talk us through it a little bit. It's an important passage of Scripture. Here's how it begins. Then he... That he is the Lord Jesus, said again to them, it's important that you know who the them is. The them in this case are the Jewish, religious, and political leaders of the day. It's in Jerusalem. The Lord is speaking again to the Jewish religious leaders, and he said, I go away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. In saying what he said here, he lays to rest something, perhaps you've heard of it, called universalism. Universalism essentially says, ultimately, all people will be saved. And there aren't these two destinies, heaven and or hell. There's one for all people because God is love. And a loving God would not have an alternative to eternity called hell. And even though we are imperfect people, universalists would say, and sometimes make mistakes. See, they won't use the word sin. Even though we sometimes make mistakes, we're flawed and imperfect. Still, ultimately, because God is love, we all make it to heaven. We all somehow in the end will be at peace with, we'll be positioned rightly with God. That's universalism. I wish I could buy into it, except if you're a student of the Bible, you have to reject it. Even on the basis of this verse, verse 21, the Lord's words, which seems to clearly indicate some are going to die and not in heaven, as their destiny, but some are going to die in their sin. And in fact, he says, where I am going, you, you cannot come. Uh, Travis here and the men of praise said in their discussion uh, earlier tonight, they quickly came up with the answer, where is heaven? It's wherever Jesus is. It's a brilliant answer. They're so right. And here Jesus is saying, I'm going to a particular place, and not everyone is going to be there with me. And that seems to fly in the face, you see, of this notion of universalism. Uh, some people who hold to it overemphasize the uh, grace and love of God and underemphasize his holiness and justice, you say. And uh, so they think that hell, if it exists, is a place only reserved for the most grotesquely evil amongst us. But not us, ordinary mistake makers. Nobody goes to hell for normal patterns of sin. Only those who've been exceptional in the perpetration of their evil deeds. And so these are folks who would say, if, if hell exists, it's a place reserved for someone like 
uh, the shooter uh, who, at First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs, committed horrific uh, acts of evil upon that church, uh, our uh, state, our whole country, and the whole world of thinking reasonable people. Uh, ones would say, if there is a hell, it's certainly for someone like that, but not for someone like this. I was reading in the news today, I'm a basketball uh, fan, and, uh, and so I follow uh, various teams and a particular family. And I don't need to mention any names, that's not the point, I just want to illustrate something. This is a family of uh, great basketball players. They've been groomed by their dad to excel in this particular uh, sport, and one brother is, is as good as the next. And one brother has just been recently signed by a professional uh, NBA basketball team. Another brother is a star player um, on a major university team. And the university team was overseas in all places, of all places, China, to, to, to play against some Chinese teams. Well, this young man and two teammates have been arrested for shoplifting uh, in some uh, upper-scale store, I don't remember the name of it, in, of all places, China. And uh, sadly, uh, they'll, they'll miss out on many games. It, it'll be a blot on their uh, resume and all the rest. Ones here uh, and in other places would say, that's, that's what youngsters do. You know, the, uh, he's a great athlete, this young kid, and he has to grow up like we all do. And, and, and we would dismiss it as being, you know, it was a mistake. In fact, I'm sure we're going to hear that word again and again from, from this youngster, his, his, his family, his lawyer, whatever. It's a mistake, it's a mistake, it's a, it's a mistake. And no one for one minute would think something like that would be evidence of a sin nature uh, the likes of which will separate someone eternally from Almighty God. People will buy into the fact that the shooter uh, outside of San Antonio is surely deserving of hell, but the young shoplifter is not. Uh, uh, folks, this is wrong thinking. Uh, uh, to God, who is holy, um, <laughs> any sin in thought, word, or deed is so offensive to the purity of his moral makeup, that there must be judgment, accountability, and justice for it. I love the notion of a beneficent God who grades on a curve and who hasn't given us ten commandments. He's given us ten suggestions, one of which is thou shalt not steal. It's just a suggestion. And these young guys decided, since apparently it's not obligatory, they would refuse God's suggestion. Well, surely that's not something worthy of eternal separation from God. Well, I think we underestimate the holiness of God when we believe in things like that. And here's something that may be a little perplexing to you. I think I am that kid who did the shoplifting in China, and I think I am the shooter. Now, that doesn't mean my innate, inherent sin nature has manifested to that extent 
in such an unrestrained, unbridled nature, but what it means is I have the potential for it. The Bible talks of something called total depravity, meaning in every area of our being. It doesn't mean we're as sinful as we could be. It just means sin has permeated every area of our life, and given the right circumstances, you and I are capable of great sin and evil. When Jesus saved us from the penalty of sin, he didn't only save us from that, he saved us from its power. Now we have the capacity to exercise in the power of his Holy Spirit restraint, which you and I in the flesh would not otherwise have. So Jesus makes it pretty clear here, there's no such thing as universalism and the destiny we face are uh, either to be with him forever or eternally apart from him. And he says, there are these two destinies, not all will be saved, some cannot go where he said he is going, he makes it clear, where I am going, you cannot come. Now, that's a scary thing as I read this, and I want to contrast it with his words to those who believe in him in the same gospel. Later, we'll get to it someday. John chapter 14, listen. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So there are those who cannot go where Jesus has gone and there are those who are to rest assured they will. And the distinguishing factor is acceptance or rejection of Jesus the Savior. So then two very different destinies for humankind. Which is it for you? Could, you? could you stay with that question even as I speak on? Which is it for you? If the answer is, I don't know for certain, could you stay with us at the end of the service, spend a few moments in the Connection Center? Let's talk through that. That's very, very important. Which is it for you? Is it to go to be where Christ is, or is it to die, as he says, in sin? Now, uh, believers die, but they die in Christ. They do not die in their sin. Believers die in the comfort of Christ. They die in the uh, closeness of Christ. They die in the warmth of Christ, yes, Believers sin and believers die, but believers die in Christ. Non-believers die, it says here, in their sin. And for those, uh, the Lord makes it clear where I'm going, you cannot come. Which begs the question, well, then where, where did Christ go to? Well, I'll tell you. He went to the Father. That's where he went. He went to paradise. He went to bliss of an eternal kind. He went away from all that which hurts. He, he went away from all that which causes pain. He went away from corruption and inflation and deterioration and transgression 
He went away from it all. That's where he went. He went to a heavenly place, and he makes it clear not everyone can follow him there. In fact, in persistent unbelief, a person cannot follow him. He says, you will die in your sin. Now, the word is singular. See, you will die in your sin. What does it mean? I think it's a reference to the one sin that causes one to die in his or her multiple sins. And the one sin is the sin of unbelief. It's the sin of rejection of Christ. And so, folks, though all will die, we're faced with this reality. We need not die in our sin. What does that mean? It means with the burden of unforgiven sin still on us. It can be removed in Christ or else it remains with you and I, the ones who've committed sin. To die in sin is to be swallowed up for all eternity in the atmosphere of the presence and power of unpardoned, unatoned for sin. We all die, we all have sin, but we need not die in our sin. I hope you're taking seriously the horror of that reality. Listen, we've uh, become sadly acquainted with the horror of a tragic reality which befell our family members just a few hours from here. A horrible reality. Children, an unborn baby, elderly people, the child of the pastor and his wife, on and on and on. When you look at the 26 at this point who've lost their lives, you, you, if you have any ounce of compassion, your, your heart breaks, it goes out uh, to the community and to the surviving family members and all the rest. However, to die in one's sin is even a greater tragedy than to die, even it's, if it's premature. I'm not minimizing the tragedy at all, but folks, the real issue is whether or not we die in Christ or in our sin. Every word in this verse is terrible. I go away. The greater tragedy, in spite of all that we may suffer as loss and all pain and calamity we may experience, there is no greater calamity than to have Christ, the Savior, go away. That's a tragedy. He said, I go away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. And where I am going, you cannot Come. The Jewish religious leaders, he says, one day, I'll give you what you want. You want my departure, you shall have it. And there'll be a day when you will seek me. Well, no, not me in particular. You will seek for a savior. When you are confronted with the reality and calamity of judgment before my father, you will seek for a deliverer, but there'll be none, for you have rejected me, and I'm the only one who could have delivered you from your sin. And that's what hell is, an eternity spent seeking a savior. 
We're not finding one because the only one who is that Savior has been rejected here. I hope these words are disturbing to you who may even now be on the fence about Jesus and what he has done. What uh, happened at the church a few days ago um, remind us of many things. One is the unpredictability of our time of departure from here. Nobody can know. You must settle this matter tonight. Would you find me arrogant if I told you I know what my destiny is? If I don't make it beyond tonight, I'm going to be where Jesus is because I'm with him now because I've asked him to come into my life and forgive my sin and be my savior. Why did I ask him and none other? None other is qualified. I don't want to pass on before my time, whatever that is. We all want a full and long life, and we would prefer to pass on peacefully and of natural causes, and not at the end of a barrel uh, fired indiscriminately by a madman. I know this, but we have no such guarantee. People are berating us, saying, look at you naive Christians going to church thinking that's your safe place. Look what happened. No, we who are Christians don't think church is the safe place. We think the head of the church is the safe place. We think we're immortal in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. All we could forfeit is part of our span here on earth. That's all. Jesus is the safe place. They're missing it. It's not a building. It's not an assembly. It's a personal relationship with the only one who qualifies as, as Savior, as deliverer. So he says to these who one day will seek him, I go away. You will seek me, but you will die in your sin. So how then do they, the Jewish religious leaders in the day, how do they respond? You would think they'd fall on their knees and say, forgive us, Messiah Jesus, for we have sinned. Well, it isn't quite like that. Look, verse 22, the Jews were saying, uh, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. So look what they're doing here. They're essentially saying, what is he talking about? <laughs> what does he mean by saying, where I am going, you cannot come? Does he mean he's going to kill himself? <laughs> is he going to commit suicide? Is that what he means? And if that is what he means, we can certainly understand what he means when he says, where I'm going, you cannot come because we're not going to take our own lives. <laughs> we're not going to follow suit. That's kind of what they're, it's crazy thinking, isn't it? That's, that's kind of what they're thinking. In Greek thinking of the day, suicide was an option. In the Jewish thinking of the day, it was not. It never was. In fact, Josephus, the Jewish historian, records for us that the thought of the day was a Jew who takes his own life, goes to a place of damnation automatically called Sheol, below. And the Lord Jesus, knowing of this belief, says this in verse 23. He says, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. 
Their origin, their destiny was the opposite of his. They are from below. He is from above. They are of this world. He is not of this world. His orientation was up. Their orientation was down. They were occupied with the things of this world. Folks, Christ's origin is exceptional. He alone is from above. All the rest of us are from below, from this world. And so he who is not of this world came to save those who are. Jesus did that. Therefore, he goes on in verse 24, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Can you see the word unless? It might not be in every translation. Anyway, the thought, unless, do you see that? that that's probably my, my favorite verse in the, uh, word in the, in the whole Bible. Isn't that a weird word to get excited about? The word unless, you see, unlocks the door to grace. The, the, the word unless introduces a way of escape from the penalty of our sin. The word unless is the gospel. Unless you will die in your sins. I have them and you have them. And I can't get rid of them and neither can you. It's part and parcel of who I am and who you are. You will die in your sins if there was a period there, it would be horrific. That's why I love the word unless. You will die in your sins unless you clean up your act. Unless you get it together. Unless you make resolutions. Unless you give a lot of money to the church. No, no. Unless you believe. I'm overwhelmed with the reality of my sin, even under the best of circumstances. I mean a college kid who has everything to live for, full scholarship and a great future and potential, and a pretty solid family background, all the rest. Still revealed, not that he's more horrible than you or I, he still revealed the presence of sin, unbridled sin, which has mastery over us unless Christ is our master. We cannot get away from it. We sin in thought, word, and deed. For all have sinned, the Bible says. So I'm stuck in it. It's a harsh reality until I read the word unless. You'll die in your sins. I have to acknowledge the reality of it. Now here's the consequence, death. You'll die spiritually. You'll die in your sins unless, oh my goodness, Unless you believe that I am he. Folks, uh, extract the word unless, and you and I are without hope. I'm left with the problem, but I have no solution. Unless you believe that I am he. Now, I want to tell you something. Maybe you have this in your translation. You see the word he in the phrase, I am he? Uh, it might in your Bible be in, it, it might be italicized. You know what that means? It wasn't there. That's right. It's not in the, in the originals. It's supplied. It is supplied by, by translators. It's very appropriate. Don't misunderstand. But I, I just want you to know this. It's actually more forceful if you leave the he out. If there's no he there, it's supplied by the translators. Assume, assume it's not. Then we read, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am. 
what's the Lord doing? He's saying, you know the omnipotent God who revealed himself in days of old as I am? I share his nature. I am God. Do you remember when in Exodus, God said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, I am, sends you. Jesus is using that term with reference to himself. When he says you'll die in your sins unless you believe I am, he's essentially saying unless you believe I am God in the form of man who came from above to save you who are from below. That, that's what he's saying. And you see this phrase, uh, you will die in your sins. You've heard it before in verse 21. It's the same phrase repeated here. You will die in your sins. However, if you're observant uh, and a careful reader of the text, you'll see there is a slight difference. In verse 21, the word sin appears in the singular. You will die in your sin. In verse 24, it's plural. You will die in your sins. What's up with that? I'll tell you. If you commit the singular sin of unbelief in Jesus as Savior, the consequence is that you will die with the full weight of the multiplicity of your sins upon you. The one sin of rejecting the Savior is sufficient to cause your destiny to be that you're enveloped throughout eternity with the plurality of your sins. There's no escaping it. You'll die in that atmosphere. Uh, the, the reason why people die in their sins is not that they are sinners. Did you know that? No, 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 no. The reason people die in their sins is that they choose to reject the Savior. That's the only sin that could keep us out of heaven. Why? Unbelief in the Savior is the only unpardonable sin, in case you're laboring over that. That's what it is. Unbelief in the Savior is the only unpardonable sin. Why? Because it is a sin against the very provision for sin. You see? You see what's going on? You see what's going on here? That's why when babies die, you wonder what happens to baby when they die? I know what happens to them. They go immediately to be with the Lord. What if the baby was aborted? I know where, where the baby went. Immediately to be with the Lord. In fact, I think some of those babies will be the ones referred to in Revelation as myriads and myriads of those around the throne who give glory and praise to the Lamb. Well, how do I make a statement like that? The baby is conceived in sin. I understand that. It's part of our nature. But it isn't sin that keeps us out of heaven. It's rejection of the Savior. Has a baby had the opportunity to, of one's will and volition, reject the Savior? It's only rejection of the Savior that keeps a sinner out of heaven. I'm going to heaven. But I'm a sinner. 
And you are too, Brother Stan. I, I just don't want you to think you're not included here. But that's exactly right. On what basis do you know that? How do you know you're going to heaven? You see, I'm glad you didn't say because I mean well, because I'm better than the guy next to me, because I'm going to make some good New Year's resolution. I believe. And that's what the text says. You will die in your sin unless you believe that I am he. Folks, unbelief in Jesus is the only sin that can keep us out of heaven because it's the only sin that is in fact a sin against the only provision for sin. So I close with this. I don't like these words, but I think it's true. Do you know the opportunity for trusting in Jesus is limited? Death is the limit, and you and I can't anticipate when that inevitability will come our way. We don't know this. And all the irrational, unpredictable, I think unstoppable, horrific, uh, calamitous, murderous uh, activities of the day which seem to be increasing in frequency remind us of the unpredictability of our time of departure. Nobody knows. That's why I say the opportunity for trusting Christ is limited. You and I are not guaranteed that we'll make it after tonight's service back home. I don't mean to terrify anyone except those who ought to be. And if uh, you're disturbed by what I just said, let that be a barometer of your situation. Please spend some moments with us in the next few moments before you go home tonight. Let us talk with you. I'm not bragging if I told you. I, I, I'm not afraid of whether I'll make it home or, tonight or not. It's not that I'm looking for that or anything. I'm perfectly safe. I'm, I'm not safe in this church. <laughs> I'm not safe in my car. I'm not safe in my home. I'm not safe with a personal arsenal of weapons. I'm not safe because there are uniformed police officers all over the place. I'm safe because when I die, I die in Christ. And I go where he is because he's the resurrection and the life. <clears throat> could I beseech you if you know of this Jesus please respond to what you know about him and don't put it off one minute longer you don't know how much more time you have <clears throat> don't, don't, don't put it off turn to the Lord Jesus right now you know enough not to turn away from him He who has the Son has the life. But he who does not have the Son shall not see life. You can argue theology and denominations and all the stuff you want to. Those are just distracting smoke screens. 
It's pretty simple. There's no universalism. You're either eternally apart from the giver of life who says you cannot come with me or you're with him forever. He who says where I am, there you will be also. Which do you prefer? The best news in the Bible is the word unless. You are a sinner just like me. And whether or not you have acted on it fully, as do some in our day, is absolutely irrelevant. You were conceived in it and can't get away from it, neither can I. We are absolutely different than God who cannot sin. I cannot stop sinning, neither can you. That's the diff, that is to say, unless he comes into our life and it interrupts the path. Well, there's a penalty for that. And I cannot distort the love of God. He doesn't grade on a curve because that would minimize and compromise his holiness. And we're willing to do that, to look away from sin because we're sinners and we like it, but God hates it. He can't look away from it. He can't minimize it. He weeps. When sinners don't repent over their sin, because there is no option for a holy God but to judge it and hold the sinner accountable. But he gave us the one and only viable option. I'll become you, but for sin, to die for you. You can't get to me. You're from below. I'll come to you. I'm from above. My origin is different than you, but my destiny and yours can be the same. Where I am, you can be also. But if you choose to turn from me, I'll give you what you want. And the most horrifying words in all the Bible is, I will go away. What, what would we be left with? But the text says you will die in your sins unless. It's nothing to do with being a Baptist or this or that or the other thing. Unless you believe that I, that's a person, am. He, who I said I am. And if you say, prove it, Jesus, he might respond with one word, resurrection. No other pretender to the throne rose up from the grave. Jesus did. He vindicated, his father vindicated him, and he gave evidence of the he substantiated his claims. He's not asking us to make a blind leap from logic to faith. The resurrection is factual. Factual. It can be proven. And if the resurrection can be proven, then the one who was resurrected is true. And if the one who was resurrected is true, you really want to be in his company. You want to be in his embrace. You want to be where he is one day. You want that to be your destiny. And oh God, as much as we want that for some even here, 
Not a one of us wants it as much as you do. You came from above to those of us who are material dust of the earth because you love us, value us, created us in your own image and want us to be forever with you where you are. Oh God, I pray in the power of your spirit you would overcome objections and walls and resistance. Would you tear them down even as we speak to you now, Lord, in the hearts and minds of ones even here tonight. So not a one would leave here tonight without you. I pray that not only each of us would enter into our vehicles with you tonight, but also one day enter into heaven with you where you are one day. On one basis, belief in you, the great I am. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.